When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to The Athletic Baseball Show. It is December 23rd, at least it will be by the time you can hear this episode. It's actually December 16th, so in the unlikely event that the lockout (laughs) ends between now and next week, uh, you know, I'll change the intro. I admire your optimism. It's not going to happen. They're not even going to meet until January based on the last story I read from Evan Drellick, so... Why would they? There's no urgency at this point on either side, Yeah. right? Nobody's not, nobody's losing money. Nobody's not getting paid. My guess is nothing. I mean, I guess I'm probably preempting our topic. Hi, I'm Keith Law, by the way. (laughs) We are, right, until somebody has money to lose, right? The games might be canceled. Really, for owners, it's spring training, right? Spring training is a cash cow for almost all of the teams. Why would either side budge? They just wait to see if the other side blinks. So my guess is nothing happens, nothing substantive happens until February, which is not what I want. Right? This is not a wish. No, no. This is just me being somewhat realistic, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think as someone who makes a living uh, writing and analyzing uh, this game, like it would be terrific to just know, okay, things are fine. We're going to start on time. The sooner the better, right? And having plenty of friends in the same situation, we'd all love yeah. that clarity. Uh, but we know yep. it, it, nothing tends to change until things have to change, even in situations like this where the the likely middle ground could be sorted out much earlier than it will actually be sorted out. So. The hot stove, it's still off. I could say that very confidently. On this episode, we'll continue the series that we started two weeks ago, pressing fast Mm -hmm. forward on the offseason plans. We'll pick the teams in the NL West as this week's focus. So we're going to play pretend, which is most of my life as a podcaster anyway. What could could I do? What's this player going to do? Like That's that's Mm -hmm. all I do all the time. Anyway, let's start with the Dodgers. It's... Funny when you look at this team right now, they have the highest projected war uh, of any team, and that's having lost Corey Seager already in free agency, having lost Max Scherzer, having Kenley Jansen still as a free agent, uh, Clayton Kershaw still a free agent, a bunch of other relievers they had are out there, and yet with all of those losses, they still, if the season were starting tomorrow, have the best projected roster, which is just mind blowing. A few additions, Andrew Heaney. Talked about that, I think, even a month ago. That was one of the first deals that happened. They brought back Chris Taylor, and they added Daniel Hudson to replace some of the relievers that they lost. But I was starting to map this out. I'm like, remaining needs, uh, none. Like, they could do nothing. They could do almost nothing. They could do nothing. I agree. I think the, the thing that I would say they probably need is veteran rotation depth, whether that's reuniting with Kershaw or getting Zach Which is what I expect, right? It would. I'd be surprised if Kershaw left. It's not, it's not money, right? I don't think Kershaw. Obviously, most players want to take the most money, and if the Dodgers come in with a terrible offer and someone else offers him 
substantially more. I'm sure that'll move to, you know, would change his direction. But knowing, not knowing Kershaw personally, but knowing of Kershaw, um, and frankly, knowing the, knowing that organization, my guess is he'll get a pretty reasonable offer from the Dodgers and maybe another team offers a little more, but probably not enough to pull him away. But the problem is you don't really know what you're going to get out of him innings wise. Um, and I think that's not just based on the last season, just the last couple of years. He's not the old Kershaw anymore. Certainly um, not from a health and durability perspective. So great to bring him back. Obviously good to have Clayton Kershaw. But I don't know that he answers maybe a need for innings, which is about – I agree with you. It's about the only thing I could say that they would need to do. I think a better quote, better way to phrase it might be if I just waved a magic wand and you're running the Dodgers mm. – and said, you can go do pretty much whatever you want with what's left in free agency. Like, what do you do? Because to me, they're the one team, maybe one of the only teams that could say, Carlos Correa doesn't really do a lot for us. We're pretty, you know, we have Trey Turner. And then Gavin Lux gets to be the everyday second baseman, most likely, which is a great outcome. I mean, not that Correa is bad for them, but that's not really the optimal use of whatever resources. There are probably other things they could do. Yeah, I almost wonder if corner outfield depth, you know, someone to pair with A.J. Pollock, given his injury history, like a Michael sure. Conforto might be the best position player fit overall for them. Like one more bat. If you think about Max Muncy's elbow, I think the last time he spoke, he was talking about how it's healing slower than expected. He's a key power bat for them. So maybe you want a little bit of coverage there. Right. Think about like we tend to think of. We don't get elbow injuries like that so much for position players. Hand and wrist injuries can really linger too. Even when they're healed, guys don't all, don't get their power back. I think because the muscles around the injury take more time to recover um, after once you've fully healed from the broken hamate or broken wrist or metacarpal, whatever the bone is. Uh, so what if Muncie is just less this year? Because you know what if he's able to play 150 games, but he's not the Max Muncie we've seen in the last couple of years because. It takes him more time to get his strength back or because maybe he swings more tentatively because he's worried about, you know, tearing scar tissue or some kind of aggravating some kind of injury, which would be completely natural in his situation. So I could see lots of arguments for just trying to backstop that a little bit with, you know, a, a bench signing, a part time player signing. I mean, they could give everyday money to a guy who is only expected to play 100 games for them. They have the flexibility, they have the resources, and they have the roster flexibility to do that. The other player who's still out there that I think could fit based on a few unique things about the Dodgers is actually Chris Bryant. Justin Turner mm -hmm. is old. He's you know, nearing the end of his career. So if you go multi-years with Bryant, he's eventually your third baseman. You can yep. mix and match him in the outfield. They don't platoon Pollock and Bryant, but the concern is Pollock's health, not Pollock's productivity. He's a bottom half of the order hitter for this team, so that all works. I could see something like that, because you could play Bryant at first base while Muncy's out too, and then you've got one more guy that plays four spots and hits a ton, but they don't need to do it. That's the big thing that keeps uh, keeps kind of bouncing yeah. around in my head, and, and maybe... They could do nothing. They could absolutely do nothing. They don't even they don't even need veteran bullpen arms. I mean, Blake Trinan looks as filthy as ever. They already added Hudson, just keep him off Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Vessia, Bickford, Gratterall. I mean, that's a great bullpen. Yeah. And they've got guys coming too. Like if they, like I think Bobby Miller and Ryan Pepia are probably starters in the long run, most likely starters. But 
A, we see a lot of teams going back to something like the old Earl Weaver model of breaking in your starters as relievers. Uh, and B, with the Dodgers rotation situation, they could probably make a pretty good argument that, hey, we don't may not necessarily need these guys to start now anyway. So the best use of them in the short term, even if you believe long term that they are starters, which I think pretty much everybody does, why not try to break them in as relievers, you know, multi-inning relievers or mop-up guy, whatever it is. They don't need to go out and spend money on that. And nor should they, right? That's you spend money on relievers when your system isn't producing guys who can fill in, right? When you're the Phillies and you just don't have the guys coming out of your system. There's just not the Phillies system has not produced pitching in forever. And so you have to go spend on relievers because otherwise you just won't have a bullpen. The Dodgers are not in that situation. Yeah, I think the other thing they've done pretty effectively is they'll take a chance on an injured veteran reliever, you know, in the four to six million dollar range and get a twelve oh, or fifteen sure. million dollar guy for a year, and then that guy often moves on. I mean, Corey Knable's right, a, and then go find the next guy. That, yeah, you just keep doing that trick over and over again. That's pretty valuable if you can identify those guys correctly. A lot of what's yeah, if you have that flexibility, right? Mm-hmm. Why not? A lot of, of the projection here too is is Cody Bellinger coming back to you know, pre twenty twenty levels at least. Right. Even if he's not the guy that he was in twenty nineteen again. I mean, the first projections I see are the steamer projections. Those come out first every year. If you go there, you're looking at kind of a twenty eighteen version of Bellinger, which fine if that's what you get, great. But yeah, I, right. I guess the question is, do you see a guy that could still reach MVP levels again, or do you see more of an just above average regular who's going to bounce back to being very good, but not necessarily elite? I'm, I'm trying to find the right word for it because I don't like talking about you know I'm not making projections, right? And and as much as I do offer predictions, like the beginning of every season, I do predicted standings. But I always tell people one that's really for entertainment purposes only too when it comes to predictions or projections like that data driven systems are always going to be better than individual people always it's just you know for folks who don't buy that i would recommend there's a book by philip tetlock called super forecasting where he lays out the argument pretty clearly like a well-designed system will beat individual forecasters pretty much every time um, there'll be always be a few individual outliers in any sand, right? A couple people will be, there's always a couple of traders who are like, this guy beat the market by 18% over the last five years, and then he won't do it again, right? Because that's just not how it works. But so, you know, when I say, hey, in the case of Cody Bellinger, I think there's a pretty good chance that he gets back to pre-injury Cody Bellinger. Now, that's not a Hey, don't go bet $5,000 on Cody Bellinger to win the NL MVP this year. <laughs> yeah, don't, but I think don't that's do that. In there, right? They, it's it, I don't think that player is gone forever. There is some you know, non-zero less than 50% probability that that guy comes back that what we saw the last year plus was really the result of an injury and alterations to the swing for him to compensate for the shoulder injury and that's a big part of why We've seen sort of the wrong Cody Bellinger, the, not the not the guy we saw a couple of years ago. You know, MVP caliber, you know, game changing on both sides of the ball, Cody Bellinger. I think that guy's still in here, based on age and based on the belief that he hasn't been healthy. I would say a little bit of that is true for Christian Yelich too. In the in the that he really hasn't been the same since he fouled the ball off of his leg. Mm-hmm. It, again, maybe it's. It is simply a matter of time and getting back to full strength and getting caught. You know. Do not underestimate the factor of players playing tentatively in some way because they don't want to re-aggravate an injury. I, I, I remember 
multiple examples of players like that when I was with the Blue Jays, you know, pitchers who would hold back a little bit, come back from surgery because they didn't want to re-aggregate scar tissue. It's natural. That's totally human, right? You don't want to get hurt again. You suffered a pretty significant injury, probably hurt a lot. So you don't want to do that again. It takes a while to get over that. Complete, Completely normal to me. Is that what's going on with Bellinger? Did he change his swing a little bit, maybe a lot, to try to not re-aggregate a shoulder injury or because it was still nagging at him? I mean, just from watching him, it seems entirely plausible. I don't want to jump to the conclusion that says, that's the whole thing and it's going to be fixed and he's going to be all better. But I say, there's a decent probability of that. And there is some, you know, if you're a fantasy player, there's some dollar figure at which you say, yeah, that's a pretty good risk to take. That you might get a, you know, I'm not a fantasy player, obviously, but a 30 to $40 player for $15, depending on your league and auction, etc. Yeah, I think that's... I think that's a reasonable chance. I think you're describing uh, NL labor. <laughs> what is likely okay. to happen at the table? Well, and, I did play in that yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah, so, so I, think, I think your spidey sense is still uh, is still pretty close to what's likely to uh, to play out there. But uh, this, to me, is still the best team in baseball, at least by current projection, if the season started right now. And if you gave me that power to make one move, I might actually go Michael Conforto over uh, adding another pitcher. But, you know, Clayton Kershaw is good, too. I love that for a bunch of reasons uh their kind of player um a team that helps guys with swings quite a bit and i don't think conforto needs a huge overhaul but he's like a fine-tuning guy plus it was just bad luck i think last year was just a lot of bad luck and just given another that does happen right in another 162 games more of those balls hit into play just don't find fielders and he gets he isn't actually any better this year but the production is better and therefore, he looks like a different player, especially if he takes a one-year deal to go back out in free agency. I will still sort of, you know, waving my hand here saying, I'm really surprised he didn't take the qualifying offer from the Mets. Uh, but maybe he gets more. Maybe he gets one in 20 from somebody. One in 20 from somebody who also says we're fine giving up a draft pick. Okay, I guess it's possible. I could be misreading the market. Maybe he wants to get multiple years from somebody. I'm surprised. I thought he would be a great candidate to take qualifying offer, go back out to free agency in what is probably a weaker class next winter off of what would almost certainly be a better platform year for him because I think he's a pretty great player. He may be a level below a star, but I think he's a, a pretty clearly an above average regular based on most of his career. And he just happened to be hitting free agency off of the least representative year he could have possibly had. Yeah, and I think it's, it's kind of the, the opposite case of maybe what you get from Nick Castellanos who – is a very good player in his own right, very good hitter, but is going to get every single dollar possible because of what he just did in Cincinnati where the, the ballpark on top of the skills he's put together made everything really pop. It seems like there's like nowhere to go but down for Castellanos after he signed somewhere, even if he's still very good. And it almost seems like there's nowhere to go but up for Michael Conforto so long as he's healthy in 2022. Let's talk about the Giants for a bit, Keith. Since you and I last spoke, they really started to put the band back together. Brandon Belt accepted the qualifying offer, which was probably one of the least least surprising times that's ever happened. Alex Wood back, Anthony Scafani back, Alex Cobb added. They certainly have a type as far as what they're doing in yes, that rotation do. right now. Which I love, right? Recognize you have core competence as a coaching staff and as an organization and then target players who particularly fit your system. That's what the Dodgers have been doing. Right. They have gone after certain guys. It's a little different, but they went after certain guys, often guys they could get in tiny trades or as minor league free agents who they could bring in and rework the swing and with you know, relatively modest changes, turn them from barely replacement level players to all-stars. And they've done this multiple times now. It's recognizing 
this is our skill set. We can do this with certain types of players. And then we should, obviously, we should target more of those players. The needs for this team are more clearly within the core position players. I mean, the loss mm-hmm. of Buster Posey, the retirement. Yeah. Uh, I want stings. Yeah, the addition of Chris Bryant previously was to fill a need that they now still have in this offseason. So there's a, a gaping hole as far as the quality of, of bats go, I think, probably at third base and also across the outfield. This is a team that has one of the weakest outfields in the league, at least by projection right now. So that, to me, is where they have to focus. And mm-hmm. they can spend. They're a huge market. They're in that right phase where clearly enough has gone right. But... Where do you spend it? Who do you get? Who makes yeah. the most sense for the Giants if they are going to go out and, and be active with some of the available position players? And it doesn't seem like they have a ton of money. here. There's some money committed, but they don't have a ton of money committed. So they could go out and make a pretty significant move. I just agree with you. I think the question is then, where? Do you go get a corner outfielder? Because they've kind of patched together that outfield with a lot of spare parts. Mostly, it's really all guys who should be playing part-time rather than who should be playing regularly and who are really good in part-time roles. And I think it's clear that Gabe Kapler and his group are particularly good at getting the most out of these part-time type of players. That's great. But if you can replace one of them with a single player who can do the job every day, also frees up your roster, especially when you have positions like who knows what's going to happen behind the plate for these guys, right? I assume that the plan is to let Joey Bart gradually take over as, a, as the everyday catcher and see what happens. See if he hits enough. And if he does, then he becomes your long-term catcher. And maybe Patrick Bailey becomes trade bait if Bart struggles again, which would be his second opportunity to play somewhat regularly in the big leagues. Uh, then maybe you say, okay, we've got to try Bailey instead. And Bart becomes a backup or becomes trade bait. If you're going to be experimenting somehow at that position, though, you don't want to be experimenting at multiple other positions at the same time that you're trying to win. So I look at this team and say... A corner outfield would be great. I mean, anywhere in the outfield, really. Second base, you could, but you don't have to. And then do they try to go get more rotation depth? Because as I like what they've done quite a bit, but there's there's no guarantees you're getting 30 starts out of Alex Wood or Alex Cobb, for that matter. Yeah, that's definitely a concern. I mean, this this is an organization that used minor league depth really effectively. They're, they're core mm-hmm. guys that were up and down between AAA and the big leagues were pretty old, a lot of 26, 27, 28-year-old guys, but they they made it work for at yes, least a did. year. Projections didn't like them in their surprising 2021 season, so it should surprise no one that projections don't really like them now. I think they do need more innings for sure. I mean, Webb, Descalfani, Wood, Cobb is the, the big four right now. Tyler exactly. Beatty's working his way back from, from Tommy John surgery, so maybe he comes back and gives them 120, 140 innings. That's kind of in a good scenario if it's all working. He really never had success in the big leagues before the injury. I, I, I still think that's that could be in there, but you can't bank on him either. So he's he's there. Maybe he makes 10 starts over the course of the year. It seems more likely to me he spends more time in AAA because there's still stuff to work on. He wasn't a finished product when he had the Tommy John surgery. I think the other issue here, something you've brought up on this show before, the young core prospects, the impact guys, that wave is still at least a full year away from even really beginning to show up. Like the Marco Luciano, uh, Luis Matos, like those types of guys. You're, we're not mm-hmm. going to see those guys this season, especially. So that's the other tricky thing here is like, do you want to go aggressive in free agency now if you see an impact player? I mean, there won't be, 
the class won't be as good next year. So if you see someone you like, right. you make the move now. At the same time, they could also be the kind of team that makes a big trade later on, depending on the development of some of these prospects. So I, I think they're really difficult to forecast because they have a lot of options and they've shown in this current build that they're willing to find talent pretty much anywhere. Yeah. And they have pieces to trade still. They still have a, it's a pretty good farm system. It's a little less deep. Obviously they made some trades, you know, their draft position is going to keep dropping as they keep winning. So that's not going to help matters, but they still have some surplus. I think they particularly have some outfield surplus and they have the two catchers I mentioned. So they could do something. They could, they probably have one pretty good trade in them if you tried to package together a couple of the prospects and put them together for some kind of significant deal. I also don't know that they need to do that right now. They could say, we're going to hang on, see how these guys develop and maybe save them for a trade in July or even a trade next off season. Especially, I, I just feel like from talking to a few executives, Obviously, this isn't the thing I normally cover, but it's just a matter of course. I do talk to GMs and other front office people, often because I'm just asking about prospects. And what has come up is that everyone says the trade market right now is outrageous. You're way better off looking in free agency than trying to acquire a, a good player in you know, a good player with some years of control or some kind of any kind of upside remaining in trade. The teams are just asking for so much in return, as they should, that's fine. I'm not criticizing them, but that GMs who might be buyers are just saying, we're just looking at free agency right now. We've sort of cl- temporarily closed the door on the trade market. So maybe that just means the Giants hang on until some later point after lockout ends, middle of the season, maybe even next season with a system that I think is is good and could actually look better in six months once these guys play again and we get some more, um, we get some more data, we get more development from some of these guys, especially you mentioned you know, Marco Luciano, Luis Matos, you know, put Jairo Pomaris in that group potentially to take the step forward. And they've done such a good job just generally with development across the board, major leagues on down. Maybe the system gains value. Even as they're drafting lower, the system continues to gain value and they have more options for bringing guys up or for making trades by the middle of the season. Yeah, I just get the sense that when the time comes, if, if trading young talent is what it takes to put the roster over the top, they're not going to hesitate to do that. Like they, I agree. They seem comfortable operating kind of in any means necessary to get to where yeah, they want to go. I could see go. them saying one or two guys are untradeable and that's it. You know, we're not trading Luciano and maybe they decide, you know, I don't even know. Maybe they, they could say we, we would trade Luis Matos. He, Luciano might be the only guy there who's really kind of untouchable in the sense that, and I it would be as much as anything, the idea that we're not trading this guy to have him go be a star somewhere else. And it's not like there aren't questions about Luciano. There definitely are questions about him, starting with what position he's ultimately going to play. But there is more than enough offensive upside there that I could see the front office saying, he's the one guy we're keeping no matter what. We'll figure it out later. Maybe he's our third baseman of the future. Maybe he ends up in the outfield. Don't care. We'll keep him. Anybody else we would discuss in some possible trade. That's probably the most rational approach to what they have, particularly because, as I said, they have a lot of surplus. They have a bunch of left-handed starter uh, starting pitching prospects, none of whom is a finished product, none of whom is ready to come to the majors. Uh, my guess is none of these guys I'm thinking of, Harrison, Mikulski, Corey, I don't think any of these guys get to the big leagues, uh, the Swiney from two drafts ago. I don't think any of these guys get to the big leagues this year, but that's pretty good depth, prospect depth in left-handed pitching. And you could say, hey, we'll trade one of these guys. 
It doesn't matter if it's the guy we like the best or the third best, whatever. We have that many. We have multiple catchers. We can do having that kind of depth gives you so many more options. Um, so and and I think they could get creative in trade if the right player became available, right? If the Reds turned around and said, we'll make Luis Castillo available, which my understanding is right now he's really not, despite rumors that he would be. If they changed their tune at some point, lowered their asking price, the Giants could probably match just about anybody. Yeah. Sonny Gray seems more likely to move than Castillo. I hear he's much more available, right? Older guy, fewer years of control, not as good uh, as Castillo. But still good. Still a guy you'd probably like to have. Would really love to see Sonny Gray in San Francisco would be a pretty good fit, actually. Yeah, I'm looking at the other free agents. If you assume Kershaw's going back to the Dodgers, Carlos Rodon, I think he makes a little bit of sense. I know there's a ton of injury risk just given his past and even what was happening with him at the end of 2021. Yeah, that was the scary part. If he doesn't finish like that, don't, don't you feel like he's looking at these you know, four or five year deals? I'm so good before just suddenly like, the fastball tapered off and just... All of a sudden, I mean, he's had so he, he's had real injury problems, not just Tommy John, right? We put the guys who just said Tommy John are in one category. Radon is in the other category where it's oh no, that's a lot more than just that. Yeah, tack a, a shoulder on the top of that, and it's just so much Always worse. Scary. But I think there's there's a lot of variance, you know. Like yeah, he yeah. could be broken, but if he's out there, he could be more like a five war pitcher, and there might not be anybody else out there. Other than Kershaw, who can do that, so maybe you take that risk, and maybe they're the organization that actually, you know, has the appetite for it and wants to take that chance because of of where they currently sit. But uh, still, top ten rotation already in projected WAR. Definitely need a little more bullpen depth, I'd say too. But given what they did there last year, I would say they'll be fine. They'll figure that out. It seems like a skill they have as a front office as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to the Padres for a bit, Keith. Uh, some additions there. Jorge Alfaro via trade prior to the non-tender deadline. They added a reliever, Luis Garcia, who pitched for the Cardinals last season. Could kind of sneakily be a big part of their late-inning plans because who's closing or who's finishing out games in San Diego is a little bit of a question, even though their overall group of relievers, I think, is is decent. They bring, yeah, I agree. They bring back Nick Martinez. He spent some time overseas. He's now back, so we'll see what they get from that? him. And then I guess you can count Bob Melvin as a pretty big addition. I mean, I, I, it might be the biggest one. This is a team that underperformed some very lofty expectations a year ago. And I think the first thing I think of with Bob Melvin is a guy that's managed teams that exceed expectations all the time in Oakland. So that alone just gives me a little bit of extra optimism about a Padres bounce back in 2022. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with your assessment of Melvin. I, I, I Those other additions are not nothing. But two things stand out for me with Melvin. One, what you said, spot on. Teams that tend to overachieve. Two, he's been a pretty good, maybe excellent manager of bullpens. A guy who can, hey, you give him some decent arms. They don't have to be famous. They don't have to be superstars. They don't have to be elite level relievers. But he's always, I think, throughout his career, done a pretty good job of mixing and matching, moving guys around, finding roles, or usage patterns that particularly work for them. And this goes all the way back to 
God, how long ago was he in Arizona? Is that 10, 12 years ago now? So multiple stops. He's, yeah, this guy's low key, really good. Um, And I say low key because right, how often do you hear his name? Um, He is, uh, I think, a pretty, you know, kind of a quiet guy and certainly not, doesn't get a lot of press, never got a lot of attention, but yet has managed to succeed in multiple stops. Um, This is maybe it's his highest profile gig just because of the players he'll be managing now in San Diego. But good. Maybe now he'll get more attention as a a really skilled manager. I'm really curious and optimistic about what he can what he can do with uh with that roster in San Diego, which which so badly underachieved at the end of the season, right? This team was supposed to challenge for the playoffs. And some stuff like the injuries to the rotation, okay, it's just out of their control. But the whole team fell apart in the last two months of the season. That that didn't look anything like if you told me before the season they're only gonna win seventy seven games, I think it was seventy seven. I would have said, what, 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 like, did the bus run off the road? Like, what ha- what happened here? How is that possible? And, you know, Melvin's going to get a, a little bit of a, you know, just a quick bounce back anyway, right? This team is going to perform better even if you change basically nothing. But then have him come in, the bullpen will probably perform better because he's got a history of doing that. Does he get more out of some of the existing position players? I'm very curious to see what he can do. And like I said, I'm optimistic. I think this was a great move. Yeah, it's a short list of teams that have four starting pitchers projected to deliver at least three more. I mean, that's a it's a hard thing to have all assembled. Mm-hmm. They have it with Musgrove and Snell and Darvish, Clevenger, of course, coming back from Tommy John. We'll see health-wise where Chris Paddock is at. I think the, the final update on him after the season was a bit ominous, so I'm not... I'm not as optimistic yeah. about him coming back and giving them a full season's worth of innings, but you know they also added Ruben Nabla from Cleveland, who I hear incredible things about. Incredible! That was one he gets hired suddenly. Oh, Padres got a good one there. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. We'll see. Right? Proof is in the pudding, or in the proof is in the pitching. Proof is in the pitching here. I think I don't want anything yes. in the pudding. No, but this looks good, right? That looks like they're making the kind of moves that a team in this situation then needs to make right you're not really upgrading the major league they already did that they've mm-hmm. already upgraded the major league roster enough okay well what else can they do well there's little things they could do around the edges of the pitching staff but not only are they overhauling the coaching staff they are trying to they're trying to go after some of the best available candidates for the major league coaching staff and that it doesn't always work but i like it i like it you know it's the right strategy it's the better adjustment than just piling even more talent on the roster because it wasn't a talent deficient roster to begin with. Right. And you've got prospects coming up. CJ Abrams. Right. Where are you going right. to play these guys? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't keep adding from outside when, as you said, you have guys coming up. You have Abrams coming up. You have Campisano coming up. Who knows where Mackenzie Gore is in all of this, but he could be, he could be there very quickly. If he's throwing strikes again, absolutely. He could be there this year. They have guys coming. So it's not that. Don't go out and sign. They already did that. They did that last year. They already got the influx of outside talent. Yeah, Ryan Weathers is a guy that I'm a bit more interested in in 2022, mm-hmm. thinking about it from a fantasy perspective or just an expectations perspective. I think he's the kind of guy that needs a third pitch consistently. That's going to be a big yeah. part of it, but I'm more optimistic that can happen now with some of the changes they've made. Also, in, he falls into my bet on the athletes. He's a really good athlete. He was a hell of a high school basketball player. And he was in the majors too soon, too young, inexperienced. He was sort of thrust into a role that he didn't, like I say, just wasn't necessarily experienced enough for. Fine. That's 
where I'm willing to not discard that, but hold it against him less in a sense. Like they should have been in double A this year, started in double A, finished in triple A, something like that. And so to me, that is a, um, you know, I'm willing to give him a pass on a poor performance this year. I agree with you. He needs that third pitch, but also he would have been working on that third pitch in the minors this year, this past year. And I still think he's going to be really good. So I'm trying to figure out what they will do as far as like a small veteran addition, because they'll do something. They're not going to leave this roster exactly as it is. It's probably left field help. Tommy Pham out. He's available still as a free agent. And Jerickson Profar is a bench player at this point. He's not a guy you want to oh, have God, out there yeah. every day. Certainly not your yeah. everyday left fielder. Uncle. You know, you move Jake Cronenworth around, so maybe it's an addition at second base, and Cronenworth plays more left field. Okay, you could do that if you really want to, but a left fielder makes sense. Castellanos could make sense for them. Uh, Conforto makes just as much sense for them as he does for the Dodgers. That certainly fits their needs. I think that's probably the most likely, not, it's not even a splashy addition, but more impactful sort of addition. Where, where would you play C.J. Abrams right now with the players they have currently, though? What, what spot makes the most sense for him? Do you play him in center and move Trent Grisham to a corner? Yes. C.J. Abrams, for listeners who are not familiar, he's a shortstop, and he's a really good shortstop. Padres also have a shortstop who is a pretty good player and also <laughs> rather highly paid. Um, I think Abrams is the better defensive shortstop, or at least will be the better defensive shortstop in time. I still, w- I'm not moving Tatis right now for Abrams. So if Abrams was coming to the big leagues right now, and Abrams also basically didn't play after the, what, the first week of July. Suffered a pretty bad leg injury. He was recovered from that, but then had a different injury that kept him out of fall league. So there's, he needs to go to AAA and just play. You could have him go there and try out center field. My guess is he'll be great there. You could have him go there and try out second base. You could have him go there and just continue to play shortstop and then decide at some other point what you're going to do with Tatis. Do you move Tatis to third? I don't think Tatis has to move, except they have the better shortstop better defensive shortstop coming. And I know you don't usually move a superstar like Tatis for a player like Abrams, but Abrams might be a superstar too, and they're going to have to consider it. Great problem to have, but you can't play them both at shortstops against the rules. As far as uh, bad problems to have, Eric Hosmer, clearly first base, is a problem. (laughs) I mean... That's a tough one. I I didn't get an MBA, so I didn't go to business school. Didn't take a lot of business classes, Keith, but... I think this is a, a pretty classic sunk cost situation where yeah. you just have to let him go. You made a mistake, own the mistake, yep. DFA him, release him. Sure, some other team might pick him up for the minimum and he might be a passable, slightly better than replacement level guy somewhere else, but you need more from that spot if you're the Padres. I mean, yeah. is this finally the time where they move on from Hosmer? It should be. I don't know that I'd say it. Uh, I, I don't know that I would go as far as to say that it is the time that they move on, but it certainly should be, right? This, this, like you said, it's a sunk cost. He has no place on the roster. He's not good enough for the roster spot and has not been good enough for the roster spot for a while now. So just accept it, move on, and see where... He, you know, if someone else picks him up, fine. He hasn't been good since the year before he signed, which was a raging fluke at the time, and almost everybody said so. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why we're still kind of having this same discussion again and again, where <laughs> the, 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 he is what he is, right? He's had the, the, kind of like the one and a half 
outlier years in the rest of his career, he has not produced anywhere enough for a first baseman. And I'm not even talking about, you know, obviously his question, is he really any good defensively, et cetera? No, no, no. That's that's not what I'm talking about. It is um, it just offensively. He, even if he were a good defensive first baseman, it wouldn't matter. He doesn't hit enough. He doesn't get on base enough, and he especially doesn't hit for enough power. He, you should just release him. If someone else picks him up, fine. You didn't have the roster spot for him anyway. Yeah, you have to pay him, but you do not have to play him. So yep. maybe this is Absolutely. finally that time. I like how we're going from Eric Hosmer to the Rockies, whose offseason mm-hmm. additions prior to the lockout were basically none. They brought Yulis Chassin back. Um, remaining needs, almost everything. You know, Everything. I would say everything. Potential losses include Trevor Story. They already lost John Gray. I don't think Trevor Story's going back there, Keith. Even even in a one-year deal scenario, look what just happened in 2021. I mean, if you want to take the pillow deal, if you want to go mm-hmm. out and, and build a better case for next season, I think that makes sense for Trevor Story. If you're going to do that, do it where Marcus Semien just did it in Toronto or do it on a good team somewhere else. There are plenty of good teams that could use a middle infielder that could be a high-impact guy that would give him that chance. It seems like a no-brainer that he's going somewhere else. Where that somewhere else is is anybody's guess, but I'd be stunned if he ended up back in Colorado. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree with that. I think that he needs to leave Colorado to prove something with the bat. I think a big part of the problem for him is that people look at him and say, well, he's not really a good, he's a creation of Coors Field, right? And so as a result, they say, you know, if he goes back to Colorado, even if he has a great year, that's just Denver. He needs to go somewhere else and show his worth and show that, no, 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 I can hit outside of altitude. I can hit with, uh, you know, at sea level. What do you say Yankee Stadium satisfies that? Even though it's a hitter-friendly environment, obviously, it's much closer to sea level. It's it's the, and I'm air quoted this, we don't have a video of this pod, the pressure of being a Yankee, which I think is one of the most BS things that people love to throw out there. Good thing this is not a video podcast. <laughs> it's not a video podcast. But people can imagine what gesture I'm making. Fill, fill it in as you wish. Yeah, uh, yeah. big eye rolls uh, happening. But How about that? That's a good one. Yes. Story as a Yankee certainly makes sense. They have young shortstops coming. They could do the one-year thing with him. He gets mm-hmm. a great spot to boost up his value for next offseason. They can move on depending on how those young guys progress in 2022 in the upper levels of the minors. I mean, that seems like a, a great possible fit if they miss out on Carlos Correa. Yes, absolutely. I think that would be, a, I don't know if it's an ideal fit, a really great fit for them. I mean, that's the, they're in a good spot if they're willing to spend money. Did I just say that out loud? doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense but yeah that gene didn't get passed down isn't that weird it's weird usually i feel like the spend money gene is a strike that comes through like usually you get parents that spend money you spend money too spend money too right no no he's kind of hal's acting like a bit of a tightwad here i don't really get it it is especially now like this team's really good except well guess what there are options out there in free agency who could help you with exactly the problem that you have right now yeah, you know, Why don't you do something about that. Try to win. I think the funny thing about Colorado. So, if you look at free agents who have never played there before, there might be more of an appetite to go there and just see what happens. But I think they get kind of pushed into certain types of players. They get veteran types who are hoping to get one big deal. Guys that are kind of on their way out, hoping for one last shot. It's just not a place where guys willingly want to go. It's even position players. I mean, I know it boosts it boosts offense. But people don't buy it. Yeah. 
I think what we've learned is that other teams aren't willing to pay. Maybe they did 20 years ago, but we're, you know, the industry's obviously learned a lot. And so I think a lot of teams look at stats from there, from Colorado, and say, yeah, we don't buy it. We don't really think that's, um, we don't really think that that's real. We don't think that that improvement is sustainable once you leave altitude. And so going there for that one-year pillow deal just doesn't make a whole lot of sense anymore. It worked on me when I was like 13 and the Brewers signed sure. Jeffrey Hammonds. I was like, oh, nice. Jeffrey Hammonds. That's great. Yeah, right? I, uh, yeah, absolutely. doesn't quite fly that way. So I will fully admit, this is to me, this is the most difficult place to build a winning baseball team anywhere in the league. I agree. Not even close. I absolutely agree. Good luck to Bill Schmidt. It ain't easy. It's a long road to try and even get there. I think the biggest mm-hmm. question they have for this offseason, should they trade Herman Marquez now while he's got two years and a club yes. option for 2024 left? Because Oh my god, yes. No, I, I don't Absolutely. know. I don't know if any team will ever pull off a Chris Archer trade the way the Rays did a few years ago with the Pirates. Yeah. But that's the type of trade you can hope to make if you deal Marquez and the worst case scenario is you have this team that projects to be the worst in the league. Maybe for the next three years, he gets hurt, and then you can't trade him. You can't even take advantage of having this great pitcher on this great deal because your team's not good enough. So you're better right. off flipping him now at his peak value because he's only going to decline in value as he gets closer to reaching free agency. Right. Yeah, that is, to me, the most obvious move possible. There is no reason whatsoever to keep Herman Marquez. And this is not, hey, you should tank, absolutely. No, this is how you get better. This has nothing to do with tanking, more draft picks, etc. But Herman Marquez is not worth anything to the Rockies right now. And if you could trade him for multiple prospects, which I think you could, going back to my discussion earlier of GMs complaining what the trade market is like, you could put Marquez out there and probably get a pretty good return, and the Rockies could use it. The farm system is not in great shape. The major league team is terrible. They should be at the start of a rebuild process. And that's fine. You have a new GM. It's a perfect time to do that. They can do that. And I'm, again, this is not a, hey, you should tank. This is, that's your best opportunity to bring some more young talent into the system to try to replace what you've lost. Especially when you look, they got nothing for Arenado and chose not to trade Story. So they're probably getting nothing back for him either. The, that's the kicker. Getting nothing for Trevor Story. Not even getting better than qualifying offer grade draft pick back. Like, how do you not yep. do better than that? Right. So frustrating to, to see oh, them extremely. in this spot. I feel bad for, uh, for Rockies didn't, fans. It didn't have to be like this. That's the problem. No, it really didn't. As far as the prospects on the horizon, with all these holes and an unwillingness for a lot of players to even go to Colorado, do you have anybody in that system that you like as possible breakthrough guys who are going to just play a lot? I actually still think Brendan Rodgers is going to be a good big leaguer. Uh, now, who knows? They've had trouble developing hitters, and obviously there are problems with that system. That environment is not a great place to develop hitters. And if you're talking about the system, the top two prospects there, Zach Veen and Benny Montgomery, these are really good, high upside, very toolsy outfielders drafted out of high schools in consecutive years in the top 10. Love Veen. Montgomery's got a hitch in his swing that he's going to have to work through. I think they're just going to have to try to reduce it. It's hard to get rid of it entirely. But those two guys could both be superstars. They have superstar upside, like regular, frequent all-star kind of upside. They just have to develop and get to, you know, get to that, get to the production that is commensurate with the tools, which is going to really, in both cases, I think, come down to their approach, come down to figuring out 
the strike zone, figuring out things like pitch recognition. Thinking about Colorado for the long haul, like if you were in Bill Schmidt's position, mm-hmm. what would you emphasize as you build out that roster? Would you try and build a team that is elite defensively because the park mm-hmm. is massive and it's really one of the few ways to fix run prevention if you can't if you can't develop elite pitching because of the way the ball simply moves out of pitchers' hands there, and you can't sign top end pitching because they don't want to pitch for you. Mm-hmm. That that seems like the only way to solve that problem, right? But that, at least that at least great defense that also plays elsewhere. It's yeah. one of those things that's not going to be impacted when you go on the road. The way mm-hmm. even even hitters are impacted by the difference between Coors Field and the first series they go play on the road because everything they see coming out of pitchers' hands is different. I do think you can sign great pitching there. You just have to pay. You have to pay for it. And it's probably going to be, you probably, if you pay market value for pitchers who are saying, this is my last big contract, right? You are not getting the guy who's signing and thinking, then three years from now, I'm going to go back out to free agency and do it again, right? The Marcus Stroman contract with the Cubs. There's no reason for him to take that deal in Colorado. But a slightly older pitcher who's, you know, had a breakout and then is looking at it, you know, this is my next big deal. Yeah, that guy, you can sign him. Absolutely. And those are the guys they should target while also considering pitchers, which types of pitches work best at altitude. Obviously, there's, you know, pitchers who rely on a ton of fastball movement seem to have trouble in Colorado because of the altitude. You know, put all of that in, look at the cast of free agent pitchers and who's a guy who'd say, yeah, this is, this is it. This is going to be my last big deal. And I'm willing to go there, even though Colorado might ruin my superficial stats somewhat. I'm willing to go there and take that, um, and take that one sort of last big payday. I could see that. Um, but I agree with your general point. And they were when the Colorado teams were good. They've had a few good teams in their recent history. They generally played pretty great defense. And that's something that, as you said, plays everywhere. It also really plays well with Bill Sch- what Bill Schmidt's drafting approach was when he was the scouting director. He wanted toolsy guys. He drafted guys who either were pretty good defenders when they drafted them or guys who became good defenders. And, I, you know, all credit to Nolan Arenado from going from a well below average defensive third baseman, who a lot of teams wanted to make a catcher in high school, to a gold glover. But also credit to Bill Schmidt because he took the guy. So, hey, you know what? If that's how you drafted and Danny Montgomery was a Bill Schmidt acolyte, he is now running the draft. I'm assuming that the approach will be somewhat similar. Keep doing it. Keep drafting those those upside guys, upside um, position players, athletic position players who project to potentially have above average defensive skills. Yeah, absolutely makes sense to to go that route. And I'm, just, I'm curious to see if things do change a lot under Bill Schmidt. They could be one of the teams that actually goes from being stuck for the last year and a half to moving forward and actually making the organization a lot better with some big league moves. Let's close it out with the Diamondbacks. They made the surprising addition of Mark Melanson. Don't really know what the goal was there, Keith, because I don't think Melanson's the kind of guy that brings back a great prospect haul at the trade deadline. Like if you're if you're not contending, you flip them to a contending team that wants a good veteran bullpen arm. That's not changing your future all that much. They've got some pretty interesting prospects coming up. You know, Alec Thomas isn't far away. Geraldo Perdomo. Oh no, I still think he's going to be really good. You didn't even mention Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll got hurt too early last year. He, got hurt. he was on fire before he got hurt. Oh my god, yes, that's he's a superstar. That guy, he would be. I'm going to here, – here's a bold and ultimately meaningless prediction because it can't happen because <laughs> it's hypothetical. 
if he had been healthy all year, he'd be in pretty much everyone's top 10, maybe top five prospects in the game. That guy is a superstar. And we're going to see that this year. Wow, it's going to be fast. So, okay, Corbin Carroll's going to be up soon. That's awesome for them. He's going to might might get. We'll just see where they start him. That's the one thing. But if they start him in Double A, I could see him debuting in the majors by the end of the year because I think he's going to be that good. I am all in on that kid on the approach, the power, the defense, and the makeup. Especially the makeup. I mean, obviously, every team loves the makeup of his prospect. You ask anyone about Corbin, Corbin Carroll. If you watch Diamondbacks games, obviously a lot of people didn't watch a lot of Diamondbacks games this year, but if you watch them, uh, he was behind the plate a ton this mm. year while he was hurt, charting, asking questions. He was there all the time this year. That's pretty unusual. Yeah, that's that seems very unusual. Mm-hmm. The other interesting prospect, at least the I, I think he's pretty interesting, recent first rounder, I believe, Slade Ciccone, which I think is the... Italian pronunciation that he's pronouncing yeah, it. I don't Ciccone. think that's actually how he says it. Yeah, Zach Buchanan had a story about him on the Athletic. He pronounces it Ciccone, which is it just messes with my which head. Is wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. It's Ciccone. Yeah, I was asking my wife. I'm like, it's Italian, like Ciccone. Madonna, right? Yeah, yeah it's like it's don't 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 do it's that. Madonna, it's Madonna didn't spell it that way, but Madonna would be Ciccone, and this would be Ciccone. Yeah, close enough. Slade Ciccone, which is also harder to say with the two uh, soft sounds like that. But hey, whatever. We do what we're told could be a nice impact pitcher coming for them i think this is a weird team because they were not supposed to be as abysmal in 2021 as they were were they supposed to be good no but the bottom fell out on them i mean even worse than it did in san diego on the padres for the final two months of the season it seemed like it happened in about may for the diamondbacks so there's some natural bounce back that's going to happen anyway they do have young talent coming i don't know if they're going to be interested in doing a lot of things aggressively once free agency resumes, but I imagine they'll pick their spots with a few short-term deals and, and try to patch over a few holes in this roster. And I think they might actually surprise some people and hang around as a kind of competitive, fun-to-watch 500 team when it's all said and done. Yeah, yeah. I think that Diamondbacks team is, um, yeah, you said there's a natural bounce back. I agree. There's some guys coming. There's some really surprising pitching coming to I actually don't uh, Ciccone is like I don't know maybe their fifth or sixth best pitching prospect at this point because they have had a lot of kind of surprising development of other guys in the system um if you like Dre Jameson I will see if he stays as a starter but he's got a chance to be pretty elite I mean the stuff absolutely would make him close to a number one starter if that holds up um Brandon Fott, who was their fifth round pick for like a hundred grand out of Bellarmine uh, College, which is a Division II school in Kentucky. I think they're only Division I in lacrosse, has absolutely like blown up uh, this year and is a, a huge, like now is one of their top two or three pitching prospects. There's a wave of these guys coming, plus Carroll, plus Alec Thomas, plus uh, Jordan Lawler's a few years behind, but that was their first round pick this year. There were people who thought that he was good enough maybe to be the first overall pick in this year's draft class. So, yeah, they're in pretty good situation. Yeah, you look at the big league rotation, I think Zach Gallon still has one more level. I think health may have slowed him down quite a bit in 2021 and kept him from yes. taking that step forward. What Luke Weaver is going to be, I think, is a bit of a mystery box. He's still intriguing enough to keep using him as a starter to see how the development goes. A couple innings eaters now with with Kelly and Bumgarner. Oh, so you don't you don't like Weaver? Weaver's a reliever. 
Not that sounds terrible. I didn't mean to do that. I've always thought that guy was a reliever. I've never liked the secondaries. That, that's no. I think that guy's a reliever. I think he's going to get swamped by some of these other guys who are coming too. Like that's there is just so much pitching coming in that system, and and you know because it's Arizona because they're you know they don't get covered as much obviously, and a lot of these guys were not super high draft picks either. Ryan Nelson, another one, was he a second rounder? I think he's turned into potentially a you know chance for a top of the rotation starter. Blake Walston is a little bit further behind, and stuff backed up this year, but I know there were some some decent reasons for that. He's got a chance to be really good. I mean, they could they could easily have a homegrown rotation by the end of twenty. What year are we now? Twenty three, twenty twenty three. I just stop and think. What what day is today? What year is today? Yeah, I, I'm I'm very, very bullish on the Diamondbacks. I know that obviously they were horrendous this year, and I think a lot of people are very down on them and why, you know, how long is this gonna right? This front office has been there for a while. Why haven't they produced a winner? Well, I think it's coming. It just takes time and you need patience. I don't know if ownership has that kind of patience, but I hope so. Because I think what the front office has done at the minor league level, drafting, international player development. It looks right now. It looks like it's all clicking. Yeah, you compare them to some of the other teams that have been rebuilding for longer, and it looks like they have a much uh, brighter, immediate future than just about all of them. I'm thinking about teams like Pittsburgh and and mm-hmm. Baltimore, but even Pittsburgh, I think things are clearly headed back in the right direction now after a few really, really bleak years. Yeah, I agree. The last name in Arizona that I'm, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts about it is Corbin Martin. I mean, he had a, a pretty miserable 2021, had some chances, only made five appearances, three starts, got rocked, couldn't find the strike zone, had issues with home runs. Reno is the AAA affiliate for the Diamondbacks, and it is one of the most extreme parks in an extreme league. So I, I feel like it's almost impossible to take a look at what Arizona's pitchers are doing in Reno on the surface and know how bad it really is. You'd have to get live looks. And I'm just curious where you stood on Martin back when he was acquired as part of the Zach Grinke deal. And if you think there's still a chance that he's got a path into the rotation or at least a path to a meaningful role, maybe as a high leverage reliever in Arizona. Yeah, he was not healthy this year, and they shut him down after I think he went back to Reno, made one more start, and they just shut him down. Elbow was bothering him again. We'll just wait and see, right? Wait until next year and then see because I don't think we know for sure what what we've got there um, until he's healthy again. I think it's pretty tough to say what he could potentially – You know, is he any kind of contributor, right? This is a guy who looked like he was a number three starter for sure before he blew out. He blew out, he came back, he didn't look great, then he looked terrible, and it turned out he was, elbow was bothering him again, so they shut him down. We'll see. We'll see what he's throwing in spring training. When we get to spring training, he would be a guy to watch. I know you can't get a ton out of spring training, but he'd be a guy to watch just to see, is the stuff good? Is he throwing as hard as he did? Um, and if he is, okay, that's probably a good sign. Yeah, there's this small group of players that they graduate from prospect status, and they don't do well enough, or they don't stay healthy to, to kind of show us what they are, and they're just sort of forgotten about. And I think he fits into that group as someone that could actually have a surprisingly useful role if, mm-hmm. again, if the health is is where it needs to be uh, come springtime. Well, we're going to go. Uh, before we go, I want to say thanks to everyone for listening throughout this year, the first year of the show. I guess the last episode in the feed of 2021, Keith, so we're putting a cap on the Athletic Baseball Show 
for its first year. Thanks to everyone who's listened to either in these days that Keith and I are on or other days with you know, Jason and Doug. Nobody or, listens when we're not on. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think I've been told at least that people listen all the time, which is great. So we appreciate everybody who has tuned in. I don't in. believe it. Fake news, Derek. <laughs> Keith is on Twitter at Keith Law. I'm at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one at theathletic.com slash baseball show. It's 33% off for the first year. But happy holidays to everybody out there. Have a safe and happy New Year's as well. We are back with you in January.